One of the things I want to make sure that I cover very clearly in this episode is the the issue, the ongoing issue, the debate that is out there over a King James Version versus other translations, things of that nature. Now, I just want to make sure that it's very clear from where I stand on all of this. I am one, I grew up on the King James, I am one that has returned to the King James just within the last couple of years, and uh, but I have spent a number of years with the uh, the first version of the NIV with uh, the New American. I've used it at, at times. I've used the Revised Standard. I've done that over over the years. But what has what has gotten me to return to the King James is not that this belief that somehow the clouds have parted and this you know epiphany has happened and the Lord has revealed to me Himself that you know this is my authorized version. It's not that kind of a thing. It actually has to do with the Greek. Now, for those of you that, that don't know this, I I have a rather extensive Greek background. I studied it. I mean, and, and there's a long version of the story. The short version of it is that I studied it as a part of my undergraduate study. I spent uh, I spent two years doing introductory Greek, uh, New Testament Greek, in my undergraduate went to my graduate studies at Southwestern Theological Seminary and spent another four years there going through Greek. And uh, and then since then, and I'm dating myself here, since then I've spent about another 25 years or so of my life studying the Greek and going back in and refreshing and doing things like that. Now, have I read the Greek every day for the last 30, 35 years? No, of course not. But I have spent 30 some odd years in the Greek language on and off throughout this, and, and the first six of those were in a professional theological setting, where it was a it was a day to day. I did get to a point where I was thinking in Greek, which is a weird thing. And for those of you who have ever studied another language somewhere and have become relatively affluent to that language, you understand what I'm coming from. You get to the point where you're dreaming or you're thinking things in the other language, and I had gotten to the point where I was doing that with Greek, and so I have been there. And I've I spent years away from it and came back, and uh, and I've returned to it in the last year or so, again, and uh, I am full out into it. it at this stage. I recognize the importance, the significance of it, especially having had twenty five plus years removed from being in a school uh, graduate study environment doing it. And and for those of you again that are familiar with that, you you understand that sometimes it is clearest for you to step back from something and have a little bit more life experience, and then go back and look at something and go, oh, okay, now I understand it. At the time that you're first learning it, you're doing it as a habit and a routine. Later on, you come back and you find that there's nuances to it. You you're understanding it not as if something you're learning for the first time, but you're seeing it from all its perspectives. And so for me, what has happened at this stage in my life, 30, 35 years down the road, and I'm looking at Greek from a very fresh perspective. And one of the things that I found is that when you go in and you look at these English translations of the Lord's words and you compare it with the Greek, I'm beginning to recognize, very strongly recognize, which versions of our English translations seem to be holding the merit of what the Greek text itself actually says. And what I'm finding is the newer the translation, the further away from the original meanings that were there in the Greek text. 
just in a ballpark generic way of saying it, the newer the translation, the further away from the original meanings that I'm finding when it comes to the interpretations of things. Now, you have to understand that the Greek language is not cut and dry. You cannot just put a English word with a Greek word and say, this is what it definitively means. The Greeks didn't write that way. They didn't speak that way. Some of their words could be interpreted numerous ways, half a dozen different ways, depending on the form that it was in, the context in which it was used in the sentence or the paragraph or the book itself. There's all kinds of things. The tense that is in there can add to or take away from a translation. And so it's not it's not really simple. You cannot have somebody sit down with a Greek text. You couldn't have three people sit down with a Greek text, translate an entire book from the New Testament, and have all three of them come up with exactly the same translation. You're just not. It's not going to happen. It's not that one of them is smarter than the others or, or that kind of thing. It is, there are nuances to understanding that language. And there's possibilities for things to be interpreted in slightly different ways. Some of the Greek words can, depending on the form they're in, it could be of this or it could be in this, it could be by this, with this, at this, from this, you know, all of that. And you're not going to get that specifically said in most of the text. You're going to have to infer some things. And because of that, you get these different translations. Now, if the issues are those little nuances of things, you know, well, in here it says it's, you know, in the Colosseum versus, you know, uh, of the Colosseum or at the Colosseum or surrounding the Colosseum. I mean, if you're looking at those particular statements and you're going, well, this is what determines whether this is an accurate translation or this is, you're missing it. I'm not talking about that. When I say that modern translations seem to be off, I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about drastic things where they may include an entire new set of, of phrases or they may be deleting an entire verse or two or three or ten. And that's the changes that I'm talking about. And again, there are arguments for that. We do not have original handwritten letters from Paul to the churches. Right? We have facsimiles of facsimiles of facsimiles of those pieces. And in some cases, we're 100 years, 200 years, three or 400 years removed from the original writings when it comes to what we have as the oldest manuscripts from those things. And when it comes to the Old Testament, it's even worse. Now, ironically enough, one of the things that's interesting about the Old Testament is that we actually have older, therefore more accurate, Greek <laughs> this is crazy, but we have older, more accurate Greek manuscripts of much of the Old Testament than we do of the Hebrew texts, meaning they have been able to track back Greek translations of Old Testament scripture that actually date older than most of the Hebrew ones that they have access to. So our Greek Septuagint, in many ways, is more accurate to the Old Testament than the English or, or the Hebrew Old Testament that we have, that we've pulled from. And, and, and that's a whole other discussion for that. And there are people that would argue against that, and that's fine. I'm just saying, in, in a general sense, it's what we tend to have. And so really, when we're getting back to what's an accurate translation, the evidence leans very heavily on the closer to the Greek you get, 
the more accurate that you're going to get in your translation. Having said all of that, it's a long way around this, but having said all of that, I have found that in many cases, the King James Version does come closer to using the same idioms, the same concepts of the original Greek text than a lot of these modern translations do. They are, they're, the modern ones tend to be either too wordy or really radicalize the words and the meanings. And they try, as much as we claim that we, that we don't do this, they try to put in modern politics into the translations of the things that they do. And so they will alter genders. They will change concepts. And they don't want to use certain words that would be there. And just like you, when you walk into a church, and people are talking about how, you know, what are your pronouns? When you walk into a church and the church asks you what are your preferred pronouns, run. A church should not, not only should not be interested in that part of your life, they shouldn't be giving in to that. And, and I'm, that's just the way that that is. Man should not be developing his faith with God based off of what other man feels about it. And if you're offended by me saying it in that way, that man, you know, with man, then you shouldn't be listening to me at all either because I'm not going to play your game. I'm not interested in what you think your genders are or what you think your pronouns are or how you think that these things could be interpreted. I'm not interested in that. I'm not here for your guidance in that, and I'm not here to instruct you in you doing yours. You deal with your own mental issues on your time. But when it comes to Scripture, a lot of these modern translations are so busy trying to be politically correct that they have removed the essence of what the Greek text originally said, or the Aramaic, or even the Hebrew. Because they want to indoctrinate you into false doctrine. That is the concept, and, and if, you've, if you've listened to or watched any of my videos about Judaism, Catholicism, even about just Christianity as a whole, you understand where I'm coming from on this. I do not place my faith in these various religions and in these various doctrines that are out there, and I certainly don't look at the modern interpretation of all those things and say, this is what God intends. I try to go back as early as I possibly can to the earliest writers, is as close to the first century authors that I can find when it comes to biblical history. I do all of that intentionally because I have come to understand that not just within the last four or five hundred years, but within the last hundred, hundred fifty years, there has been a drastic demonic possession over our religious institutions. And I'm talking about infiltrated in all church bodies, not just in a particular type of Christianity, but in the denominations, within the associations with those denominations, within individual ministries within them, within individual churches, individual ministers, individual texts, and so forth. It is, the infiltration is thorough. And you see it in our churches today, and you see that our churches are almost more political than our politics are. And it goes into our translations as well. So yet another reason why I go back to the King James. Because the King James predates much of that. Now, there are historians that would say, well, you know, King James was a politically sanctioned... Yes, it was. Okay? But I think we all understand that late 1500s... <laughs> 
was a drastically different time period than what we're dealing with today. They weren't questioning back in the 1500s and the 1600s. They were not questioning whether there were more than two genders. They were not saying that pedophilia was normal. They were not suggesting that you should have drag queens teaching your children. They were not promoting those types of issues from within the church. They were not telling you that you should be performing occultic yoga uh, astrophysic type of uh, meditation things and uh, things of that nature within the church environment. And that's all what we have in the 21st century church. It's very hard to find uh, a, a church nowadays that doesn't have some infiltration of something of that nature, that doesn't cater to or accept, um, that doesn't sugarcoat those issues. And, and that goes down to your translations as well. They want modern translations because the modern translations are less offensive. And they want to cut down on the offenses in order to keep people within their pews. And they want to keep the people in their pews so they can keep the money flowing into the church. So that they can turn back around and buy more corrupted, paganized uh, Bible study pamphlets and more secular-based music and things of that nature to, again, keep people less offended and in their pews or at least paying their tithes. And so there's where my argument is on all that. So, long rabbit chase here to say, I primarily, when it comes to an English translation, I primarily use the King James partly because it is archaic. Okay? Because it does predate these things that we've had in the last couple of hundred years that have definitely corrupted our theology. And you can talk about it being sexist, and you know what? That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, God designed us male and female. He created us in that way. Not male and female and xeno-whatever, okay? Male and female. And He created our lives to be sacred, God was and is anti-abortion. He is opposed to the perversions of homosexuality. He, I mean, he is. Now, I'm not saying that an individual who suffers from that, and I do use that word that way, they are suffering from the delusion of homosexuality. Okay, that is not natural. It is not native to the way that we were designed by God. There are people, however, that have they have an, an issue. There's, there's something going on, um, usually through early childhood, or something that happens traumatically that, that does that. And, uh, and those are issues. It is a moral issue, it is a mental issue, and therefore it is also a spiritual issue. Now, a person can love God and still be conflicted. People can love God... And, and believe in His Word and still do things that are offensive to God, that are against God's natural laws. And so regardless of, of what that is, what that subject is, but that doesn't mean that the church embraces it. And it certainly doesn't mean that the church should run away from it. And we certainly shouldn't begin to reinterpret our scriptures based off of a concern that it will offend people for doing that. What happens, though, is that you end up with these cults and things of that nature where they specify particular types of doctrines. And so if cult A 
is seen as just wacko kind of group, people begin to dissect down what are the doctrines that are in there, and they look at them. Oh, well, this is a King James only church, and so therefore this this cult, see, it's because they're King James only. That's part of the problem. No, no, no. What the translation is, is not in and of itself what causes the problem. And, and that's even in these modern translations. If when you open your Bible up, you yourself are reading the Word and praying to God about the Word and reaching a, a communication through the Holy Spirit with God about discernment over that Scripture, God will point out to you what is there, what is real, what is not real, what is true, what is not true. God will show those things to you. God will discern those things in you. Okay? And, and, and that's really regardless of the translation. But a weak translation with a person who does not seek God's guidance through that translation is going to be even further removed from an accurate understanding of God's Word. Period. But if you were to line up ten people in a room, give all ten of them the same scripture, same translation, same scripture, and have them read it, you would not have a 100% recognition of that passage in exactly the same way. You would not have all ten of them interpreting it the same way. You would not, and even of that, I mean, say you have six out of the ten that see it in a particular way, even of those six, you're not going to have all six of them that will agree to the same call to action from that verse. See, there are some that will take it in and understand it in a particular way, but they won't do anything with it. There are others that will do something with it, but within that group, they will do either something righteous or they will do something wicked with that scripture. So, <laughs> you can't put ten people in a room and have them all interpret the scripture the same way, even if you're giving them exactly the same translation. And in most cases, you're not. If you ask ten people to come in with their favorite Bible, you're not going to get ten people with the same identical translations. And even if you did, you're not going to get ten people that are going to agree identically to what the passage means. And then within that group, you're not going to get all of them to agree on the form of action that needs to be taken because of that scripture. So the more translations you have, the weaker it all becomes anyway. It's already weak to start out with because we're human beings. But it comes down to if you are seeking guidance through the Holy Spirit from God as you're reading God's Word, you personally reading God's Word, not you watching some Bible study from someone else or reading someone else's interpretation of things. I'm talking about you with the Bible open, going through it, and prayerfully asking God to discern for you what that passage says and what it means to you in the context of His ministry. So regardless of which translation you're using, if you're not doing that, you're going to be misled, you're going to be you're going to misconstrue what's going on, and you're going to you're going to make some mistakes. Period. But it helps if you have at least a relatively solid foundation. And I do believe that in many cases, and you have to get around the Shakespearean structure and everything of the 1500s. In some cases, you do. You get used to it, okay? It's an older way of reading. But you know what? If you read something from 100, 120 years ago, you're going to find some of that same vernacular is there in writings just a hundred years or so ago. And people are arguing, well, you know, King James is so outdated. People spoke in that way within the last hundred years. <laughs> there are people that still speak relatively close to that today. So, no, it's not that it's outdated. And it's not really even that it's archaic, even though I used that term earlier. It's not really so much that it's archaic. It's that it is more 
um, I don't know, more traditional. And I think there are some things, particularly when it's talking about God's Word, that you need some tradition to be based on. And so, therefore, again, that's why I go back to the King James when I'm reading the English. Now, I've gotten to the point now where I'm, I'm doing a lot of my discernment. I'll read some English passage, and I'll go back in and look at the Greek. I recognize that most of the people listening to me uh, at this moment can't read the Greek. And I get that. So you're having to rely on somebody else to interpret from that. And the reliance that you've given is in your translation that you're reading. And so I'm telling you that if you're going to get something... I would suggest that you go back and try to... And, and I don't even suggest the New King James. There are people that would say, well, you know, you may not understand the King James, so do the New King James. No, I've seen a lot of variants in the New King James. It may get rid of your thighs and thous, but it also gets rid of a few other things, or it adds a few other things in there that are beyond that. So the New King James is not just a changing of the form of the word. In some cases, it's a complete change of the texts that are there and adding to or removing from, which we know is not what God intends. And so there is that. So I do suggest King James primarily. Okay, And if you have to do something more modern than that, you just can't make it without that. I personally, my interpretation of that is that what's happening is that you are not relying heavily enough on God. Seriously. And I'm not saying that if you're not reading the King James that you're not spiritual, that you're not sanctified, none of that. I don't want anybody to take that meaning from what I just said. What I am saying is that if it's an English translation, such as like the King James, an older version of something, and I'm not talking about the old 1500s version, okay? I'm talking about, you know, 1611, okay? The one known as the authorized version, the one that is common, and there was one that was, you know, further later on in the same century, and still in the 1600s that, that is out there. That's that. That's fine. It's English. It may not be what you're comfortable with, but it's English. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not English, because it is. Learn to read it in that way. Believe it or not, it'll actually help increase your educational level just because you're speaking in a more traditional, um, less hybrid vocabulary far less slang, it's purer, and you will find that by doing that, you will become more familiar with writers from 100 years ago, or 150 years ago, and that's good. These are people that were not tainted by the internet, okay? They weren't tainted by television or radio. Their interpretations were based off of them sitting and reading with a word. It wasn't digital. It wasn't you know, interpreted into some kind of a PowerPoint and things of that nature. It wasn't, it was, it was them with the Word of God in front of them and time on their hands to listen to God through the Holy Spirit explain to them what that Word was saying. How can you go wrong by going back to writers that were looking at the Lord's Word that way? You can't. I'm sorry, you can't. But when you get within the last hundred years and, and newer, younger, you what you're getting is you're getting a lot of crazy interpretations. Now, I also will say this. Now, if you get a King James or you don't get a King James, but whatever your translations are, stay clear of the ones that are more heavily on commentary than they are on the Scripture itself. If 
you open a page of your Bible up and you find that the vast majority of your page is spent in the footnotes rather than in the scripture itself, you're doing it in reverse. Okay? You're reading man's interpretations and man's commentary on God's word more than you're reading God's word. And then that's a problem. And it's a problem particularly if it's you're getting it from a Schofield Bible or a Ryrie Bible or something of that nature because, again, you're getting one person's interpretation of that scripture rather than the scripture itself and the Holy Spirit telling you what that scripture means. Okay, It's English language. It's not as difficult as you're making it out to believe if you think you have to have the commentary in order to understand the scripture. It's really not that difficult. But you've been told that it is. And that's a lie. Because they want you reading the commentary. They don't want you reading God's word. They want you to read man's interpretations of stuff. They don't want you reading God's interpretation of the events that happened. So, having said all of that, I, I give my peace. There will be more things coming up soon. I know that I've taken a rather long hiatus away from doing any of these broadcasts, but I, I, am, I, I promise you I'm coming back. I'm more seriously coming back during the summer, but I have, I've been dig, digging very deeply back into my Greek and spending a lot of time with the Lord when it comes to all of that, and, uh, and this is where I'm coming. So the first thing that he has put on my heart to come back and say is about your translation. And then from there, we'll cover some of these other issues. But I tell you now, and this is unedited. You can probably even hear my ceiling fan in the background. I'm not going to do any kind of altering or editing of this. It is what it is. Uh, I love you all. I'm praying for you all. And uh, I really do appreciate those of you that have held on all this time. And, and especially for those of you that have held on from the old days when I was mental brick or, um, you know, and these different things, Patriots fight and so forth. And you, you've held on through all this, and you're like, wow, yeah, I remember back. Um, there's been a lot of changes. There's been a lot of things that have changed in our world. There's a lot of things that have changed in my personal life. And uh, yet my investigative style is still there. I just don't get out there and promote the same things that I used to promote. And a lot of that has to do, the vast majority of that has to do with what the Lord has put on my heart and what the Holy Spirit has shown me and want getting back into His Word as close to the original as I can get through the Greek um, all of that getting back into those roots of that has helped uh, solidify for me an understanding that I was I was being led astray by the modern world and even in my investigations that were going on. But I'm back, I'm here, and uh, First Century Press is here to go uh, on for a long time, and I look forward to giving you the next message as soon as possible. Again, God bless. <laughs>